Amen. If you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. If you're our guest today, I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming. And I would actually encourage you to fill out one of the connection slips on your program there. Let us know you were here. And that way we can send you a little uh, note to say thanks for coming as well as a little gift. And um, uh, if, 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 if it is your first week, I'd invite you to go online and listen to my introduction to these talks because I don't have time to review it again. I did it for a few weeks, but uh, I want people to know how I deal with money as a church and how I see money as, as the leader of this church because we don't talk about it very often. And, and I think that that uh, introduction of the first couple of weeks of this series will just give you some insight and uh, maybe assuage some of your fears that you might have as I talk about finances and money. So we've talked about how money says spend me. Money says free me. Money says a lot of things. Today I want us to look at how money says, money says trust. Now not trust in money, but just trust. Uh, any money you have, if you'll notice, I have a $1 bill, a $10 bill, and a $20 bill. I haven't had this money, much money for a long time. And uh, on each one of the backs, it's very clear. It says, in God we trust. In God we trust. In God we trust. If you pull out a coin, a dime, a penny quarter. Whatever you pull out, what's it going to say? In God we trust. I wonder how true that really is. I think it's really just a nice little saying, isn't it? Because how many of us really, how many people that, that currency flows through their hands really trust God as opposed to the currency that's in their hand? I want to talk about that today, that before the things that I'm going to talk about the next week or two, before you really can dial into that and hear that message, today is really important because a lot of people trust their money more than they trust Jesus. And at some point, for all of this whole series to make sense, and especially as we move toward the end of it, if you don't trust Christ, if you really don't trust the God of this universe, then you'll never be able to trust the things that I share. See, in the Gospels, Jesus is always revealing himself and what he came to do for us. Not only in his coming, but throughout his life and in history. And we're going to look at a very historical teaching today, but it has very clear present tense application. But I want us to look, first of all, at Luke chapter 4. Remember in Luke chapter 4, and I would encourage you to read this story sometime this week just to be refreshed if you're not aware of it. But in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been baptized in Luke chapter 3. <clears throat> And after he's been baptized, it says literally to the Spirit of God led him out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And it's there that he prayed and he fasted and he went through all these temptations. He had this confrontation with the enemy of his soul, the enemy of our soul, Satan. And he overcame every temptation that came his way. And what I want you to see, because we face generally the same temptations. If you were to read Genesis chapter 3 and the way the enemy came and tempted Adam and Eve you would see the same style of temptations in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. And then if you go to 1 John chapter 2, where John talks about temptation, you'll see that, you know what, his game plan really hasn't changed much. And this is where so many of us, we've got to really see how Jesus reveals himself and how he deals with these things, because ultimately you and I still face the same temptations and thinking today. See, Jesus, the Lord of this universe comes and he wants to offer every one of us provision. He wants you to know, he wants me to know, us to know, he'll take care of our needs. 
Matthew chapter 6 says Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, I'm going to take, you don't have to worry about anything. I'm going to take care of the birds of the air. I'm going to take care of the animals of the field. These simple, simple, seemingly insignificant things, he says, I am going to provide for them. How much more will I provide for you? So when Jesus is out getting tempted, the Father is with him, providing for him and taking care of him. But see, the enemy of our soul offers possessions. God wants to give us provision. The enemy wants to have us take possessions. Basically, we live with this mindset and mentality. I gotta have, I gotta have, gotta grab, gotta collect, gotta possess everything I can get my hands on. Satan says, follow me, it's yours. That's what he did to Jesus. Jesus, if you just jump down here from this temple, from the pinnacle of this temple, I'm gonna give you all of the, all of the cities and all of the control of this world. And we believe that he could have. But Jesus wouldn't take it. See, it's hard to believe for me that Jesus would have even listened to Satan offering him that. Because basically, in essence, what he says is, he says, I'm not going to take it. You know why? Because the Father's already given it to me, but not now. And that's the truth. The Father, everything that Satan had offered Jesus, the Father had already given him. All those possessions. But you see, that's what the enemy of our life comes to do. He comes to do with you. He comes to do with me. He came to do with Jesus. He always wants us to take a shortcut, doesn't he? And he kind of dangles these things and says, I'll give you this and this and this. When most of the things that he would ever offer us, the Father's already offered us. We see this in the way of finances. We see it in the ways of our sexuality. We see it in the ways of marriage. Sometimes, you know, I see people divorce way too soon before they've given it their all and they've given it every help that they can. But they leave, they short circuit, they stop. And when the Father says, I want to bring provision and healing, the enemy says, no, no, I'll give you possessions. I'll give you somebody else. I'll give you something better. And see, we had this tendency, loved ones, to want to take shortcuts. The Lord promises power. The Spirit of God leads Jesus out into the wilderness in this work of the Spirit to empower him to overcome the wiles and ways of the enemy so that he could stand up not only as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man, God-Man, to show us that we can live in the power of Christ to be overcomers, to control our lives. But the enemy of our soul comes to offer prominence. He says, looky, looky. Looky, looky here. I'm going to give you prominence. I'll give you a really good image. I'll give you prominence in life and you'll impress everybody and everybody's going to think you're a wonderful and great person. But you see, the heart of God is simply this, loved ones, is he's not looking to give us prominence. He wants to give us significance. Prominence is big and it's nice, but significance is about other things. And Jesus said this, I come to glorify my Father. And every time he said no to the temptations and the wiles and works of the enemy, guess what? He was bringing glory to his Father. Every time you and I, we go for the power of God to reside in our lives to make right decisions, guess what? When we do that, we bring glory to Jesus. See, the Lord offers purpose. The reason you're alive, the reason that you were born is to make a difference in this world, to reach a community, to raise your children, to follow Jesus, to be a difference maker. Because when you begin to live with purpose in your life, when you begin to follow Jesus and you live and make decisions day in and day out based on the power and the significance that he gives you, you will begin to be a difference maker. There are people in this room right now, you're probably here because of somebody that invited you here. 
And you can say the reason I even tried this thing called church out is because of this. I got friends that I saw Jesus in them. And ultimately, that's what Jesus calls us to do, to be everywhere we go every day. But you see, the enemy wants to make us presumptuous. He wants to whisper in your ear, in my ear, you're a special case. Go ahead, jump off this pinnacle. I'll give it to you. No, no, go over here. Take this rock. Turn it to bread. You're special. And we begin to believe that. He wants us to think that our ways, his ways, are better than God's ways. And I can tell you, loved ones, I've been, I've been around this mountain for a lot of years now. God's way, it's not always the easiest, but it will always be the best. Why? Because we serve this God who's committed to providing for us. We serve this God who's committed to giving us purpose. And isn't it so easy, though, to allow things of this life to pervert us? We can become perverted by the lies of the enemy. We can become sidetracked by the ways of our culture. And we begin to kind of look around. We're dissatisfied. We've got to buy. We've got to get. We've got to possess. We've got to clutch. We've got to hold on to. The problem is we begin to grab and we begin to possess and get Madison Avenue to hell, or worse yet, just a me- not worse yet, but uh, just a meaningless life. And so many people live that way. I love what Pastor Eugene Peterson wrote in one of his books. He said this, the puzzle is why so many people live so badly, and not wickedly, but so inanely, not so cruelly, but stupidly. There's little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. We have celebrities but not saints, infamous criminals who act out the aggression of timid conformists, petulant and spoiled athletes who play games vicariously for lazy and apathetic spectators who are aimless and bored, and they amuse themselves with simply trivia and trash. Neither the adventure of the goodness, not the pursuit of the righteousness will make the headlines in our day. That's kind of a scathing documentary on our community, on our culture, on our world. But Jesus calls us to something better, something greater, something grander. I want to look at a parable today about a nobleman king who has, calls 10 servants to him, and he gives each one of them a mina. And each one of these minas is about, is about three to four months' salary. So let's just say if someone makes $4,000 a month, it's going to be twelve to $16,000. And he calls them and he says, I'm giving it to you. I want you to take it. I want you to use it. And I want you to invest it because I'm coming back. And so Jesus is very clearly saying, I'm like this king and I have a kingdom. You and I, we have this opportunity as well to be faithful servants of the kingdom because there is going to be a time when he's going to come back. Jesus reveals himself as a king and he wants us to understand the nature of that kingdom. So he teaches, about him, teaches us about himself and his kingdom in this parable. The big idea is simply that we are to be at work and to be investing. Now understand the context. Number one, he's a week away from his, from his crucifixion. This is in Luke chapter 19. One week from telling this story, he's going to be crucified in Jerusalem. He's going to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And three days later, he's going to raise from the dead. He's going to conquer Satan, sin, and death. And he's going to be the substitution for God's wrath for every person that says, I want to follow Jesus Christ. 
Now, what's interesting is in this story, it, it's, it's 2,000 years old, but it's actually today fits every one of you and I here. Because he's going to talk about this king and this nobleman who goes away. Where's Jesus today? Jesus has gone away. See, after he, after he resurrected for the third day, he spent 40 days on earth. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he went around and he started showing himself to people. He revealed himself to people to let them know that he resurrected, that he was in fact alive to his disciples. And 1 Corinthians 15 says up to more than 500 eyewitnesses. Well, then just a short time later, at the end of that 40 days, what did he do? Acts chapter 1 tells us that he ascended into heaven. His disciples watched him. That's where he is today. He's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews tells us that he's living to make intercession for you and I. He's praying for us today. But guess what? He's the king. He's the nobleman. And there's going to come a day when he's going to come back. But in the meantime, he gives instructions for us on how we're to live. And see, loved ones, this is really important because this becomes foundational to the rest of my talks that we're going to be sharing in this series. Because if you don't trust God, you won't trust him. If you don't trust him, you'll never be able to give your life. You'll never be able to give your resources. You'll never be able to become everything that God ultimately wants you to become. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Now, the first 10 verses, it's a great story about Zacchaeus. If you grew up in Sunday school at all, you remember the little story. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And what did he do? He's so desperate. He's, he's this top drawer guy. He's made buco bucks, but it wasn't satisfying his soul. So he says, I got to see this Jesus. But it says very clearly, he's a short guy. So he's got to shinny up a tree so that when Jesus comes, he can see him. Well, Jesus sees him and says, I'm going to your house for dinner, for lunch. And so Jesus goes to his house. Amazing thing happens. This broken man who looked like he had everything going for him on the outside. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus gets with him eats with him. He comes out. He'd been ripping people off because he was a tax collector for Rome. And what does he do? He comes out and he says, he's been totally changed by Jesus. And he says, if I've ripped anybody off, (laughs) I'll give him back fourfold, tenfold. I'm going to pay everything back. And it's amazing that that's the kind of transformation that can take place in a person's life when they really come to Jesus. And it's interesting because one of the things that had the biggest hold on that man was finances. And the first thing that's changed is what? His finances. And so as soon as he comes out, Jesus is telling the story. This has happened with Zacchaeus. And so now Jesus transitions to this parable. And he says, verse 11. So as they were listening to this, what? Listening to what happened with Zacchaeus. He went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. See, remember the Jewish people at this time, they thought Jesus was coming as this conquering hero, that he was going to come and kick the stuffings out of Rome and he's going to set up his kingdom here. But Jesus wanted him to know, no, I'm here as a suffering servant. I'm not coming to set up my kingdom now. So part of this parable is to explain that. He says there was a judge in one town who didn't fear God. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas, one mina each. And he said, I want you to engage in business until I come back. So Jesus, again, he's talking about he's going to go, he's going to die, and he's going to go away. 
but he gives each one of these guys about three to four months' salary. But then he adds in verse 14, but his subjects, not his servants, but there are some, some subjects who hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us, which is exactly what happened because it was the Jewish people who rejected Jesus and eventually killed him, crucified him. Well, verse 15, now, he's gone away, he's been killed, he's been away for an unannounced time. Verse 15, at his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves that he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. So verse 15 has not happened yet. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're still waiting for that. So the first came forward and he said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. That's amazing. Ten times his investment. So Jesus says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, you're going to have authority over ten towns, ten cities. And what he's talking about here, and it's a great message for us, is do you realize that when we get to heaven, we're not going to be sitting on clouds, playing harps, singing kumbaya for eternity. See, some people think that. When we get to heaven, there's going to be commerce taking place. There's going to be activity. There's going to be stuff and assignments that you'll be given. Now, I know this doesn't sound really good to some of us, but what you're going to see here in a minute is that um, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the responsible get more responsibility kind of makes you go, well, why in the world would I even want to bother with that? But I said, I was at one of my, my friends, his father's funeral, he's just a wonderful man of God, and made this statement. He said, the, the reward for a job well done is a bigger job. And, and that's true in life. And you know what else? It's going to be true in eternity. When you do a good job here, when you're faithful here, God's going to give you charge over greater things in heaven because what you get to do in heaven is going to be tied directly to how you live and do your life here. So he says in verse 18, the second came and he said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So Jesus said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and he said, Master, here is your mina. I've kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you. For you are a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. Well, the king, Jesus said to him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew that I was a tough man collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have at least collected it with interest. So he said to those people standing there, Take the mine away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. See, the rich get richer, don't they? Poor get poorer. We don't like that in God's economy. But it's kind of how it works. But they said to him, Master, he has 10 minus. I tell you that to everyone who has more, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who do not want me to rule over them, and I want you to slaughter them in my presence. 
That doesn't sound like a little lovey, gentle Jesus, does it? What he's talking about there is all these people throughout, throughout history that have rejected him, turned their back on him, and said they don't want him to be their king, their Lord, their Savior. So in this story, what is the one thing? Everybody got one minor. What's the one thing that everybody gets? Everybody. Life. Everybody in this room has been given life, which affords you opportunities, possibilities. And that's what Jesus is really pointing to. He's saying every one of us has been given a life. And he's talking here about the importance of being willing to invest your life and in all that entails. Now hear me, because this is really important. When God talks about investing your life, first thing we start thinking about is, okay, here we go. (laughs) We got the wallet talk coming, got the money talk. Here it comes. Well, it is. But, but, hear me. Before the wallet talk, it's really about your life talk. Because Jesus is more concerned about your life. When he's talking about investing, he's talking about your love, your affection, your attention, your thankfulness, your appreciation, your care for people, and yes, absolutely, your wallet and your finances. Because ultimately, this is the question, will you allow a supernatural work of God to be released in you and through you in every one of those areas so that you can become a blessing while being blessed? See, before the fall and before sin entered this world, remember Adam and Eve, they were living in the garden. It was perfect. And all they were and all they did really was they were stewards. They took care of the garden. They oversaw it. They took care of stuff. God said this, you can have everything, enjoy it, be fruitful, multiply, but one thing. See that tree over here? That's mine. Hands off. That's not yours. One thing in this vast garden of perfection and beauty and goodness. So what did they do? There came this subtle transition in their life where what did they want to do? Well, they went from stewards and managing what God had given them to now they wanted to be possessors and take what was God. And the moment that they did that and they partook of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, guess what happened? That's what sin and death entered into the world. And ever since then, there's this subtle transition that people, you know what we do? Don't we really become more possessive, more clutching? Don't we develop attitudes of acquisition, collectors of stuff, want, 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 grab, 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 get more? You go, well, I don't know about that, Pat. Well, okay, I'll tell you what. Here's a test for you. Go home today, open your garage door, and see, and see how many people stop by to see if you're having a garage sale. And that'll tell you, that'll prove it. Because we've really become people that acquire and want more. But see, God's heart for every one of us in this room is that we would return to the position of being stewards. And and, and I just want to tell you, you'll be so amazed at what God will allow to flow through your life and your hands. And I'm talking not just about money, but I'm talking about when you determine to be a person who's loving, a person who's caring, a person who's joyous, excuse me, a person 
who has affection, a person who's thankful, and a person who gives resources, you will be amazed over the years at how much God allows to flow through your life. And if there's anything that I could do this morning, it's to help each one of us, every one of us, and wherever we are in our life, and we're all at different places in this journey, And we all probably need to learn some of this at some point. But that we would take our white-knuckled hands and just learn to release a little more with our life. Because it is only as we do that, it is only as we allow the love of God to flow in us and to us and through us that we can ever become really loving. It's only as we allow our thankfulness to God to flow through us that we can become thankful to the people around us. It's only as we learn to see how much God has given us and blessed us with that we can really and truly begin to release and bless and give to those around us. So I want you to just see a couple of things from this passage here. First of all, you've got to take responsibility. Verse 17 tells us that God entrusts things to people and he shows us and he tells us here that fruitfulness with our responsibility will give us more authority in life. See, the more you give, the more you release, the more authority you'll get in life. Many people want to have great authority, but it doesn't happen until you come to the place where you really become faithful with what God has given you. Jesus teaches here that when you responsibly discharge what you have, that will begin to determine the authority that you have in your life and the influence that you will have to steward over people. See, a lot of people love position, but if you're not a person that can steward that, God is not going to give it to you. In verse 13, Jesus says to these guys, here, I want you to take this. I want you to trade with it. I want you to invest, and I want you to do business with it. Guess what? When you study Scripture, you'll see it really doesn't matter It doesn't determine. We oftentimes think that, okay, I'm going to be over here because of God. You are. God has placed every one of us in uh, uh, Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 17, says that God has placed us in this time, in this place, in this epoch, in this season for his purposes. He is sovereign. He has sovereignly placed you in your family this time in history. But never forget, you play a lot into what happens with the rest of your life. You will be a great determiner in how much God can do through you and how much influence you'll have in your life. See, people love to read this parable. And then there's another one. Another parable is very similar to this in Matthew chapter 25, where it says that Jesus gave 10 uh, talents to one person, five talents to another, and one talent to another person. Very similar, except the difference in what he gives. And see, we kind of like to look at those and we go, yeah, there you go. (laughs) I'm a loser. I get one talent. Joel over there gets 10. I don't know how come he gets it. Look at his great life. I got one over here. Can I tell you what? This is the sovereign part. God knows what you'll do with it. And we don't like that either. Because a lot of people think, well, if I just had more, I'd be better. I could do a lot more. No, 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 you wouldn't. Because you will do with what you got. Whatever God gives you, your call. See, see, Jesus didn't put any of those guys down except the one that didn't do anything. He just expects you to be faithful with what he's given you. I I learned this lesson when I was 
I was planting a church in, in Manteca back in the 80s and early 90s, and uh, I became a substitute teacher and coach sports and stuff. And then because it went pretty well, I, while I was doing that, I said, man, if I'm going to do this, I might as well get my credentials. So at night, I went and got my credential, and I worked at all these schools in, in Manteca, and I loved it. But um, one of the principals, Joe Cook, now Garden Elementary, he, he watched me, and I got to do a long-term assignment there. And one day, he pulls me into his office, and he goes, you know, I know you're finishing up your credential work, and I'd love to have you work here. And I go, you know, he'd come in and visit my classroom because I was a sub, so he'd be checking on me and watch me and everything. And I said, well, why, why would you want me to work for you? And I thought he was going to really give me a, you know, like, well, you know, you're really brilliant. You're a great teacher. I'm really impressed with your lessons. And Bob, I thought he'd say something like that. <clears throat> and he looks at me and he goes, well, you know what? This is what I know. You get here early and you stay late. You love the kids, and you're prepared. And I thought, well, now, that's not exactly that big of an encouragement. Because I thought I was brilliant. And what I realized is I'm really not at all in any way, shape, or form. But I do know this, in most of my life, I've been able to outwork most people. But what I learned on that day, because he ended up hiring me uh, some months later to be on staff there for a couple of years before I came. You know what really matters? It's not your charisma. It's your character. It's not your affluence and what you have. It's your influence and what you can do with people. You see, you may not have the most gifts. You may not be the most polished, wonderful person. But if you are faithful with a little bit of whatever God has given you, guess what? God will use you. See, Jesus knows something about human nature and his people that we, to be faithful and to be responsible to what Jesus gives us, what that will always do, as we see in this story, is will always bring increase to your life. I've been the pastor here for over, almost starting my 23rd year here pretty quick. And, and I'm always surprised as I watch some people. I'm a people watcher. It's not like I look down on them, but I just, I observe. Why, is, why, why does life work so well for some and not so well for others? Why do some people seem to get it and others seem to just always fight it? And one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of people carry that kind of thinking, that kind of attitude. Well, there you go, God. You gave him a five, you know, five talents and you gave me one. What the heck? And we begin to look around and we begin to complain. And we begin to question, does God really care about us? And if there is a 10-person or a 10-talent person over here, so what? God only is concerned about what you do with your one or your five. Because if you start looking around and start comparing, guess what you'll do? You'll become greatly discouraged or you'll become highly embittered toward God. There were some years where I had to go, oh, I'm just a loser pastor. I mean, every week across my desk, guess what I get? I get these brochures, come to this conference. And, and, and this pastor, he's pastoring 10,000 people. I go, what in the world would I learn from him? You know, I'm just this loser pastor with about 500 wonderful, gracious, great people. You know, what am I going to do? 
and that used to kind of bother me. Every week, I, I still get them. But now I just go, you know what, Lord? I'm going to kind of do what I did when I was teaching school. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to hopefully love the people you've given me. I'm going to give them some affection. I'm going to show them appreciation. I'm going to lead them to Jesus and do the best I can in the community. And if, and, and if, and if this is what it's going to be, you know what? I'm just going to say, Lord, this is what I can do. This is my best. But that's what I can do. And I'm not going to sit here and look around at the guys that are here, the guys that are there. The guy, it's, it's not what it's about. And can I tell you something, loved ones, that you would live on the basis of that as well. That you would just begin to see what God has given you, what he's invested in you, so that you could begin to invest that in others around you. And don't look around. Don't compare. Look up. Be thankful. And give out so he can flow through you what he wants to flow through you. Next thing you'll see is a proper relationship in verses 20 and 21. You've got to have a proper relationship. See, when it comes to giving and trusting the Lord, some of us get a little nervous, don't we? Because this is the question so many of us have. Can I really trust the Lord? I mean, if I come to him, I wonder, is he going to take everything I've got? Some of you, maybe you're newer to this church or maybe it's your first time today. You've got this misconception about God because maybe you've seen it on TV. Or you've been to all these places and you get these ideas about God that ministries are always going bankrupt. Ministries always need more money, more money, and they manipulate and they've got to get their money. And you start thinking, and he'll take it all. Or you'll come to Creekside and some Sunday I'm just going to go, okay, ladies, get your purses out. Just dump it on the table right now. We need it. And some of you guys, okay, get your wallets or your money clip. Just, just peel off. Hundreds there. Come on, put it out there. And I, and I think that sometimes we live that we think God's poor and that is always in need. Can I tell you something? He's not. Matter of fact, I, you know, I hardly ever talk about money. I, mean, I forget. I don't even receive the offering anymore. By the way, that's what those baskets are for. <laughs> I just... Thought I would, you know, slide that in just in case. You didn't know. And for prayer requests too. But I'm not God's beggar. And I'm going to teach you and I'm going to challenge you about giving because I believe it's one of the most mature things you can learn to do. It's one of the most important things you can learn to do in terms of growing in your life. But you see in verse 21, some people are afraid. This guy says he's afraid. But see, he doesn't really know the master. And the reason you know he doesn't know the master is because number one, he won't invest his life, number one. And then number two, he says to him, he says, oh, I was afraid of you. Well, and Jesus calls him out on it. I love this. Jesus goes, oh, really? Well, if you were afraid of me, the very least thing you would do out of your fear is stick the money in the bank because you knew I'd be coming back and so you wouldn't want me to be upset with you. And I think Jesus does that with us. I think a lot of us, a lot of Christ followers, we have all these reasons why we can't give or why we can't invest our life or why we can't be a part of something. We give all these stinking reasons. And Jesus goes, fool, who are you trying to fool? Man, you're not, it ain't washing with me. And we think that all of these reasons are good. But Jesus is going to call us out. 
Let me make a suggestion to you. You'll never really begin to know Christ until you make a decision to love Christ. Oh, good. (laughs) Got that one done. Oh, okay, let me give you the second part of it. You'll never really begin to know Christ until you really begin to love Christ. And you will never begin to really love Christ until you begin to obey Christ. What do you mean? We have this real syrupy, soft Christianity that basically says that we can just love God and it doesn't really matter how we live or what we do. And that affects a lot of our relationships too. We have this term called unconditional love. I don't like that term. A lot of us like it because we're very soft and we don't have a backbone and we don't like to deal with good and bad. We don't like to deal with right and wrong. I don't see the word unconditional love in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, I see the opposite. You go, whoa, 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 what are you talking about your pastor? Well, if you read John chapter 14, verses 21 and 23, this is what you'll see. You'll see some heavy conditions. It says this, Jesus says, he who loves my father will obey his commands and will be loved by him. I don't know about you, but that's got conditions. First John chapter 2 says the same thing. Now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. I believe God is unconditional love. That is the essence of who he is. That is his character. That's the, that, is, that is God. God is love, but his love has conditions. Can I tell you what I mean? Let me, let me, let me tell you this. I got conditions in my marriage. One of them is fidelity. Okay? I don't know that I'm going to have unconditional love if there's infidelity. And see, a lot of times in our relationships, this is what I find too, is you want me to have unconditional love for you when you mess up. But if I mess up, it's different. You don't really want to have unconditional love for me. Well, that's because we're human. But see, God is, God says, if you love me, You'll do what I want you to do. And you know why God says that? Because he knows that whatever he wants you to do, commands you to do, is always for your best to-do list. He's not just going to give you something just to say, oh, I want to see if you'll do it. No, he'll give you something to do because he says, I want you to be blessed. How many marriages do I deal with and family issues that their love begins to plateau and then the love begins to diminish? You know why? It isn't because maybe they feel love, but it's because they quit doing the things that show love. See, we can talk about feeling love all we want, and I really don't care to hear about someone who feels love or doesn't feel love because I bring them back and I say, you tell me what you're doing to show love. You tell me what you're doing to act out love, and then I'll tell you if you're really loving or not. 
Because most marriages that break down, it's because they quit doing the love. It's not because they quit feeling it. You quit feeling that probably after you get back from the honeymoon and life hits you in the face. So Jesus says, you know what? There's some expectations in this thing. He says, occupy till I come. This guy didn't. And it happens with the Lord that if we're not doing those things, that we're growing in our love for him, and, and, and that the revelation, the revealing of his life, that we're not doing the things that he says to do, then there's not going to be this experience of this fresh flow of his life and love through us. If we're not growing in obedience, then we're not going to be growing in trust. Because like any good leader, he will always challenge us forward. You do that with your children. I do that with our staff. Jesus does it with all of us. Okay, good, you've taken this step. Now let's get ready. Let's take the next one because it's about growing in grace and obedience and love. To grow with Jesus, there will always be some risk. And ultimately, that's what real faith is. And that's what we see in this passage. These three guys, they were given a task, an assignment. And guess what? We're in that same period of time where Jesus says to every one of us in this room, I've given you something. I want you to invest it. I want you to risk with it. There's a a sense of risk. I want you to engage with that life, with those goods that I've given you. Last thing is this, you deal with wrong attitudes. I have to tell you, at times I kind of wonder why I'm not the giving person I should be. And I find a couple of reasons here. Number one, it's because I'm just not willing to invest and give. I don't want to do it. So I don't. This guy didn't want to, so he didn't. Secondly, I believe I'm the reason for everything I have. Hey, I worked hard for this. I mean, I've, I'm pulling full time. As a matter of fact, I worked two jobs for a while to get to where I am. And deep down inside, if you're convinced that you're the reason that you, for everything that you have, and it's because of you, and you'll forget the blesser who has blessed you with everything. And you'll forget this real truth. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is systemic to that one that you said yes to, Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe that, and sometimes I've had a hard time believing that. I mean, I believe in it. I give lip service to it. But then I really begin to think that I am the, 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 the key in this thing. And while I have a major part to play, it's ultimately Jesus has given me whatever gift I have. He's given me the breath that I breathe. He's given me the skill that I have, the drive, whatever it is. It's systemic to the one who is the lover of my soul. And when I don't believe that, you know what I start doing? I'll start possessing. If you don't believe that, you'll start possessing. You'll become fearful, and you'll be afraid that if I give, if I give love to this person, if I give kindness to that, if I give appreciation here, or if I give some money, I'll have to work twice as hard to get it all back. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus always fulfills you and gives you more and raises your capacity to receive. Maybe not at that moment, but ultimately it happens. I see it all the time in my life. And listen, I've been where I've had nothing. And I've been to where, you know, most of the people in this church are where where God has blessed me. 
But the reason people are not loving and caring is because they really don't believe God will give it back to them if they do it. The reason people don't give is because they believe, oh, they're going to lose it. It's interesting, but just in the last few weeks, I've received a couple of gifts. I mean, just out of nowhere. Um, I guess I look poor or something, but uh, I'm going to start looking poorer, I think. But really, a couple of people have just said, here, I want you to have this and go enjoy yourself. And I go, what for? Well, you know what God always does, though? Whenever those things happen, most all the time, but a lot of times, is I'll be just doing something all of a sudden, somebody will go, you know, I'll be talking to them, and they'll go, oh, yeah, Pastor, I'm really struggling. I got this going on. I need this. And I'll go, oh, I think the Lord is giving me a little test here. And I receive this blessing. Now, what will I do with this person? Will I be a conduit or will I become a swamp? And it's amazing how when, when God blesses you, that you have this capacity then to bless others. And you know what? I never want to stop that. So what do I do? I make sure that if the opportunity's there, I just simply let parts of it flow through and I give and I share. Because this is what I've learned, whether it's love, appreciation, finances, goods. God always has this way. It just kind of goes just like this. The only thing that can stop that is what? Me. And that's what I want us to learn, that that's the way this God works in every dimension of our life. See, the Old Testament talks about emptying your barns. Can I tell you something? The only way you'll ever be able to empty your barns is if you know who filled them. And if you think you're filling them, you'll never be able to let them go. You'll simply accumulate and accumulate and keep and keep and keep. And you'll become like the guy in Luke chapter 12 that we talked about a few weeks ago where, boom, he just had these bigger barns, bigger barns, kept it all. And finally God said, tonight's the night you're checking out, partner. And he lost everything. I'm not saying God's going to like get you. I'm just saying that you'll that you'll that God doesn't operate that way, but you'll just you'll just have these big barns. But there'll be no joy, there'll be no ongoing life. And the last thing is is you'll see selfishness. This guy, it says that he had it in a napkin. What does that mean? You know what he did? He just wrapped up his life. He wrapped up his life. Nobody could touch it and he didn't open himself up to anybody. Scripture says that God is concerned that we become entangled by the things of this world. Luke chapter 2, 2 Peter 2.20. Um, uh, in, in 2 Peter 2, it's, it's the picture of a spider web, that, uh, of a spider web uh, doing this web. And what happens? You end up getting caught in this web. In Luke chapter 8, he's talking about how thorns and thistles and, and weeds, they grow up around and become, those are your cares of the world and they begin to strangle out the life of God. And that's what happens to so many people. They just get consumed with stuff and their own thing and they forget to unwrap their life and be a giving person. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's two kinds of people in this room. You're either a giver or a taker. I mean, it really is that simple. And you stick around somebody very long and you'll quickly find out who the givers are, who the takers are. Did you know that the people I've helped the most in this church are the the people I've done the least for? 
I was telling staff the other day, just kind of doing a little thing in staff. I said, the people that I've done the, mo- the least for in this church are the ones that have been here the longest and they think I'm the greatest pastor in the world. The people that I've helped the most, and I'm, I'm talking about time, I'm talking about money, I'm talking about love, I'm talking about gifts, I'm talking about counseling, I'm talking about help, are the first ones to go, first ones to complain, and the first ones to leave. I'm learning. I will always help, I will always give, but I am becoming more discerning. Because givers always expect, and they will always take, and when you don't continue to give, they'll be gone. That's what takers do. People that give, they just say, you know, Lord, just continue to use me. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be a giver. This passage speaks to all of us, three things. Number one, I want to challenge every one of us today. Take action. Something today, my prayer is, that would speak to you to take action on. If you do nothing, it's wrong. That's what Jesus said to the one guy. If you don't do something, then you're just burying whatever it is God's speaking to you. See, people like to sidestep the real issue beyond money and resources. It's really about giving your life to the one who gave his life for you. The old preacher said people, they would, when they would hold somebody up, they'd say, your money or your life. And he says, that's really not true. For most, their money is their life. And today, you're going to decide if God's just into your wallet or if he's really into your life. I'll tell you this, he's really into your life. And he's into my life. And he knows what's best. And if you don't begin to believe that, you'll never give a dime. You'll never really love people around you. You'll bury yourself. The second thing is, never forget every one of us loved ones will give an account. Every one of us. What is your heart? Each one of us has to decide. Will I use my talents, my treasures, and my time for kingdom endeavors? And that's the, that's the message of this passage. Invest, do commerce, engage until I come back or you come to see me. This is not about salvation that you're going to stand before God and he's going to go, oh, you didn't give enough money or oh, you didn't serve enough. You're going to hell, directly to hell. Don't pass go, don't collect $200, don't do anything. We're not talking about that. We're talking about eternal reward. And I don't know how it works, but it's, it's very clear that there's going to be rewards in heaven. And it's based on what we do here. I just want to tell you, when I stand before Jesus, I want to be able to say, listen, wasn't a whole lot, but I sure gave you everything I could with what I had. And I got to tell you, I am shocked sometimes. You wouldn't know this. I'm shocked sometimes when I find out what people give. They say they love God. They say they love the church. But they don't give. And I go, are you kidding me? Nothing? Zippo? Zero? Or I see people come here year after year and never engage in serving. 
They just come and receive and leave. See, that's kind of a religious thing. Come and get and get out. See, when you're walking with Jesus, you're going to get challenged to engage and to give in a lot of areas. Serving, time, money, love, care, goods. And the last person that's there here is it's possible some people, maybe you're here today, you've just been visiting or you don't know Jesus. Jesus said there's going to be a group that they're just going to be brought in front of me. He uses the word slaughter, but there's going to be a people that are going to lose their eternal life in the end because they rejected the king. And this could almost come across as manipulation or a scare tactic, and I don't operate that way because that never changes anybody. But it's in the text, so I want to share it. And if, you're, if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you really need to consider that. You need to consider the claims of his life upon yours, that he came and died for your sins, resurrected on the third day so that you could experience eternal life. And not only eternal life, but a temporal life that is filled with his love and grace. Because if not, there is an end. And we all face it. As sure as he's coming back, there's heaven and there's hell. And you, our church knows I don't, I don't use scare tactics. I don't use manipulation or guilt. But it's clearly in the text today. I want you to know that.